Hello. I'm Stephen Vilk. I head up end user computing services here at uh, AWS, uh, which is comprised of Workspaces, AppStream 2.0, and WorkSuite. I know it's a busy week for us, everybody here. Lots of exciting going on at reInvent, and uh, we're pretty excited to share with you what we're doing as well. I want to talk a little bit today about our vision uh, for EUC and against the backdrop of some thematic changes we see in the industry. And uh, all that's really about trying to make sure we provide you know, the capability for cost efficiencies, scalability, uh, data protection, choice for the employees. Uh, a little bit uh, after mine, my colleague Veneer will uh, come up and share with us the uh, progress for 2019 and uh, some innovations that we've, we've made. I'm very excited to see that. And um, my, it's my pleasure also to share that we'll have uh, Jeff Mendelson from Johnson Johnson and Gloria Skedwong from GE Renewable Energy here to share with us their modernization journey and uh, how they've been going and how they've been working with us to do that. Uh, their progress is pretty exciting. <clears throat> so what is end user computing, right? It's, it's really about the um, allowing that end user to uh, access their data, their applications, their contents on your networks to do their work, right? And with some of the thematic changes we're seeing, it's really, I think it's more important than ever that um, we move beyond MDM and VPN, because once that data is out on the edge, it's really hard to manage. So how do we do that? First, we have workspaces. Uh, it's, a, it's a desktop uh, offering, virtually a desktop offering with Windows. Windows 10, we're optimized for Windows 10. We also have uh, enterprise grade uh, domain join Linux offerings. Right? You can set them up in 20 minutes. Uh, in fact, I just tested this. Um, during uh, Thanksgiving break, my son came up and said, hey, I'd like to build a Minecraft server. His friends are in town. They all want to have some fun. And uh, I said, well, why don't you try a workspace? Right? So I have a console. I have a personal workspace I've had since 2015, before I even joined Amazon. And uh, he said, yeah, let's give it a go. He wants to try Linux. You know, he's never used a Linux desktop before. So we sat down, first name, last name, email address, choose the size, right? choose the operating system. It took us about two minutes of effort total. And then, uh, then we went off and you know, decided what we're going to, like, yeah, I got to Google some stuff about you know, Minecraft ports, how to get it open. I think it's like 25, 565, it turns out. By the time we figured that out, he got an email in his inbox right, saying, workspace is ready, here's your registration code, have fun. He's like, what is this thing? So he logs in, he's like, what's going on here? And I explained to him the magic that goes on behind the scenes from the moment we finished in that first two minutes till the time he got it. And, uh, and you know, his response was, he says, Dad, that's cool. And I was like, and I'm thinking, if any of you have teenagers, and they ever say to you, Dad, that's cool, it's actually probably pretty cool, right? So what else is cool? We got AppStream 2.0. AppStream is being used by lots of enterprises for uh, their, their flagship, app, flagship apps, their secure apps, uh, performant apps, uh, stuff that has that high user interactivity. Uh, it's really cool what they're doing with it. Um, also, we're seeing SaaS vendors using these apps, right? The SaaS vendors are using those apps to take native apps and build new business models, offering them to the market, okay? Take their native apps, get them back in. We also have WorkLink, right? WorkLink is really cool. It's that ability to click on an email, right, and then open up some kind of workflow or app that's in your data center, a web app, 
but there's no MDM needed, no containers needed. The, it uses a generic browser. So you can actually get in and out of your data center without actually having to do MDM or VPN. Right, it's pretty cool. And Manir is going to talk with us about that, uh, all three of these actually, at different levels in his presentation. So we have more than half the Fortune 500 working with us now, which is fantastic. Uh, and, and we have every industry, every segmentation, every vertical you can imagine now all represented here. All the contractor, or all the wor uh, workloads and use cases like contractors, right? End users of, of, of temps and, and sales and knowledge workers and labs and whatever else you're going to want to use, all of those are represented here. We have over a half a million users depending on their service today, okay? And here's a cool thing. Those half a million users last month streamed 90 million hours at five nines, okay? Now, I'm an old IT guy. I've been doing this for a long time. That's really, really hard to do. 90 million hours in a month streamed at five nines, okay? So give you a sense of that scale. Now, with all these customers we've been talking to, um, picks up some interesting thematic changes that are occurring in the world that are basically putting stress on that edge, edge device. So the first thing to know is, and it's probably not surprising, users want to be flexible, right? They want, they want to, the, the, the workforce is evolving. They want to be agile. They want to be global. They want to work from anywhere. They want to, they want to work from home. They want to work anytime, right? And these types of interests have actually generated new things like the gig economy. Right? Work. These are the, the contractors, temps, and freelancers who are showing up, who are available to workforces to expand and contract as needed. Okay, so that's the, the first theme. The second theme is probably not surprising. What happens when you have a workforce that's evolving? The businesses evolve. They take advantage of that. Businesses are getting bigger faster. They can dial in their costs. They can flex up and down as they need to, right? which allows them to take advantage of changing conditions in the industry. So give you a sample, like in 1950, the average age of a Fortune 500 company was 60 years old. Now 20. Companies are getting bigger faster. Amazon was eight years old when it got into the Fortune 500, right? So if you have a lot of changing workforces, you have a lot of changing businesses, and there's all this temporary stuff coming in and out of your business, security is becoming more and more. Like we know it's always job one, right? But when you have that much going on, you worry about the edge. 34% of the breaches are occurring on the edge, okay? I spent almost 20 years in IT, and I can tell you, like, I can empathize that when the attack surface is your entire employee base, Right, that's a tough place to be, right? So I'm not going to spend much more time on this because I don't want to raise the stress in the room. Like we all remember, know what the challenge here is. So what are we going to do about it? Well, the answer really is about balance. Like we want our employees to, and, and workers to have you know flexible flexibility and, and choice. Right? We want them to be able to do the job that they want to do. We want them to do it the way they want to do it. But that's not infinite. Like you can't do infinite choice. The cost structure will, will go out of whack. Right? So we need the balance. We need to provide the IT groups secure, secure automation, ability to build, manage those cost structures. We need those things in balance. So our question is how are we going to do that? Well, in a four-pillar kind of model, we'll start off with simply simplify IT. And this is about you, right? 
This is so you no longer have to plan and procure and configure and build for peak. That's the whole point, right? We sh you should be able to swipe a card and buy one that fast, like what I did with my son. You should be able to buy a thousand, same effort, right? So if you're, you have a colleague who says, oh, I got to go offshore, I got a project that's running late, uh, we need to flex out there to catch up, do you have 300 laptops lying around, right? right? You want to be able to do that without increasing your risk profile, without being inappropriate around costs, right? You don't want to be able, you don't want to have to say, you should have called me six months ago, right? You should be able to do that. The other element to simplify is we, wanna, we want to simplify your operations, but we also want you to run your operations your way, right? We want you to be able to run on top of us, which, which that's why we have all these APIs and SDKs, so that you can do that. And our colleagues here will actually show you how they've been doing that in their business. Secure. Job number one, right? Trust nothing. Well, you can trust me. I know we just met, but I'm pretty trustworthy. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, right? So while the, the challenge with edge computing is, you know, is what we worry about in terms of the, the data structure, what's driving it, right? There's data sovereignty issues. Data is supposed to stay resident where it is in many cases. You have local, you have regional, you have global compliance rules. You need to be able to take advantage, you, know, to, uh, you need to be able to comply with those and still do the, to still do the job. The answer's still the same. Don't try to manage the edge. Right? Keep the data resident. So if you have an employee who leaves a laptop in Starbucks, no problem. If you leave your phone on the chair and run off to other shows and reinvent because it's so exciting out there, no problem. There's no data on it. Right? We got you covered. It's a zero trust model. That's what we're thinking about. Empower your users. Right? Now we love, love, love our users here at Amazon. Kind of think we should probably have that number one, right, if we're Amazon. We love, love, love our users. And these users today are not the users that we used to have. These are pretty savvy users. Remember the, um, those big towers we used to have, like the, on your desk, you hit a button, that thing comes out? These are not the users who stick their coffee cup in it, right? These, these users are savvy. They got mesh networks at the house. They got all sorts of devices, right? They work from anywhere, all over the locations. These, these folks are, know what they want. We want them to have that flexibility. We want them to have a, a good onboarding experience. We want them to have a good user experience, right? But we want them to have, have, want them to have choice. So what kind of choices? Well, we have device choices, right? PCs, laptops, Windows, Mac, Linux. We got Chromebooks, tablets, phones. We got them all. Operating system choice, back end. We got the Windows, the Windows 10 optimized desktops. We got the Linux, enterprise grade, domain join Linux. Right, we got those options for you. Hardware choices, we got over 200 configurations of hardware because everyone is not the same. They shouldn't all be sitting on the same box. Dial it in for what they need. Right, you should have that kind of choice. And then costs, you gotta keep that in balance. Modernization suggests the old three-year contracts that we've all worked on, the enterprise contracts where you, you build for peak, they're limiting. Like they're good for cost protection, right, for future, but they also limit you from the ability to try new things or work with the new uh, offerings in the market. Um, we don't want you to be stuck with that, right? You should be able to have the ability to malleate and change with the, with the industry. We know you have your constant costs and your variable costs, you need to be able to deal with both. 
So AWS and user computing services, we've gotten rid of all the long-term complex contracts. There's no, there's no infrastructure fees, no maintenance fees. It's demand, on demand, pay as you go. If you want to be billed monthly or hourly, we can handle that for you. We have other forms of cost reduction options too. If you want to, if you want to use open source, the Linux offering, right? If you want to avoid the Microsoft tax, you can lower your cost structure that way. Those 200 configurations that we talked about, hardware configurations, there's a cost structure with it. You can get them in balance, right? Provide the right performance, but also at the right cost structure. These are dials that you can turn. Now you've probably seen the chart before. We, 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 we love this chart. It, I mean, you've had probably all sorts of Amazon services, directories, storage, under, compute services, right? Databases. Uh, for us, this is, uh, this is this works for us as well. So for for availability, we're globally available. For security, keep the data from the edge. Cloud is inherently secure. Scalability, scale up and down. Flexibility, any OS, anytime, anywhere, any place. Right. Extensibility. This is those APIs we talked about, where you can run your business on top of ours and automate. Right. And uh, cloud economics. When we say build. Uh, when we, we talk about don't overbuy, right? Pay for what you use. So this is what we mean by built for cloud is good for modern, you know, modern EUC. So we've been doing this for over five years. 200 launches in five years, right? That's, that's a good pace. And did you know 90% of the roadmap is driven by you? And this is why I love reInvent, because we had a chat. We talk about how we're doing, how you're doing, what do you need more of? This influences our roadmaps. This is how we figure out what are we going to invest in. So we want you to keep doing that. I want to call out um, a couple things from, from, for this year. A work link launched this year. Workspace's streaming protocol public beta launched about a week ago. Manir's going to talk a little bit more about those. We've added more regions to help with that data sovereignty. We have more APIs that you've asked for to do your automation. We have certifications, FIPS, HIPAA for AppStream 2.0, and uh, FedRAMP Moderate for workspaces. And then a big ask, uh, workspaces uh, Linux client for people to get to both the Windows and Linux backend desktops. So, so after five years, right, we still say, day one, right? Which means we're just beginning. We're very excited. So keep engaging with us. Keep sharing with us. Keep, keep giving us ideas, right? We're better together. Hashtag better together. I think my son would say I went from cool to cringy right there. But let's get cool back up on the stage. So Manir is going to come and share with us the progress for 2019 and some great innovations. And I just want to say thank you for being our customers. Thank you, Stephen. I, I'm pretty sure most folks would agree you stayed with Cringy with that intro. Uh, totally kidding. Totally kidding. So uh, my name is Munir Mirza. I'm the general manager of Amazon Workspaces and Amazon AppStream. Um, and I'm really lucky today to talk to you guys not just about all the things that uh, we delivered with your help in 2019, uh, but about my journey as a customer of all the products that I get to work on on a daily basis. Um, so it starts 11 years ago. Uh, that's when I first joined Amazon, um, and uh, actually in AWS for five years. 
before I was in AWS, I was responsible for all of Amazon's websites. So Black Friday, Cyber Monday, fully under my purview. You can imagine, as a result of that, that I had a big hand in Amazon's DevOps culture, right? So just being able to check my dashboards, being able to respond to a ticket really, really quickly from my phone were things that I yearned to do on a regular basis. Couldn't. So I started working with customers really, really closely when I got to AWS. And I started figuring out some things, some themes that were emanating from them. Stephen touched on a few of them. First, that so many of your applications within your enterprise are moving to web apps. Second, that you just got to expect that mobile is pervasive today, right? Everybody is doing some form of work from their mobile phones. So, okay, there's some solutions that are out there that address some of these problems, right, that enable some of your users. Uh, so I started asking customers about those things, right? Like, why not install mobile device management? Why not get a mobile VPN up and running? Um, and a lot of them said very, very similar things, starting with the end users. They would all say something like, look, it's just too slow. It's laggy. It's not loading the pages correctly. And they would ask a ton of questions about their privacy, right? Like, when I'm checking my Gmail, is it going through my work? Like, when I'm shopping online, is that going through my work? That, nah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And so many of them would stop using the service altogether. And of course, the IT folks would be super stressed out. Uh, because they just bought three years' worth of licenses for this thing, knowing that a big part of their workforce isn't using it anymore. Uh, but you got to have it, because there may be one or two people who need it, like on a weekend sometime, and, and you just don't know. You're not around to ask. And then this, the best part were the security folks. Uh, they'd come in, they'd be like, wait, 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 wait. You're trying to tell me that these devices have our corporate content on it, and I have no idea who's, at, who's got access to these devices? I've got no idea which parts of the world they're at and whether they're left here because you've decided to go off to another Vegas show or something like that. Um, a lot of security folks are just shutting it down altogether. So we set out to address that. We set out to prove that there's a false choice between security and productivity. And so what you see here is the typical thing that I get on a regular basis, right? Um, a lot of execs go through something very, very similar to this. You get that expense report. You know it's going to take you just a few seconds to approve it. But you can't. You get that classic disappointment, right? Browser opens up. Sorry, can't load this. With WorkLink, we look to address that problem. Here's how. So it starts when you're entering that URL uh, or you're clicking on a link on your device. We make one decision on the client, and that is, do we route this to your corporate network, or do we route this over the internet? Again, we took privacy very, very seriously with this product, right? If it's your shopping, your personal shopping, if it's checking your personal email, that's none of our business, and that's not something that the WorkLink service is involved in. If it is destined to your corporate network, we'll route it securely through the WorkLink service. And that corporate network could be anything. could be hosted anywhere. It could be an on-prem system that you have. It could be content that's hosted in AWS. It could be you know, part of a hybrid multi-cloud. So it doesn't matter to us. We're going to route it to your back end, no matter where it is. When the response comes back, we'll securely render it in EC2. And we'll ensure that only the traffic as part of that session gets loaded in the browser at that time. There's no multiplexing that's happening. There's no co-hosting of users in that session, et cetera. It's your traffic securely rendered. Then we do something really, really cool. 
we transpose the content from the HTML, the CSS, and the JavaScript that are those web pages, and we turn it into a simplified DOM and simple vector graphics, right? We send that down to the device, and it gets rendered in the user's default browser. We didn't want another browser. So on Android devices, you get to use Chrome. On iOS, you get to use Safari. And the reason we used that special protocol was so that we could preserve our native interactions as much as you possibly can. So the pinch and zoom, the scrolling, the entering of the text feels like it's happening locally because it is happening locally. It's not going back and forth with the cloud. And then the best part, right? When the session's over, poof, it's gone. There's no data at rest on the device, and more so, there's no data at rest in the cloud. So you can see, hopefully, why this is a service as part of Amazon's DevOps culture that I was really, really excited to roll out for customers. A lot of execs say the same things, right? Like, hey, we want to be able to use this to approve expense reports or just take a look at some of the financial reports in our uh, systems such as Tableau or QuickSight. The everyday worker comes to me and says, hey, like, I, I, just, I just need to remember, like, is the day after Thanksgiving a holiday or is it not? I just want to be able to look that up in the tool really, really quickly but I can't. And so these are the kinds of things that we're excited to roll out to our users on a regular basis. And I've received a ton of really, really positive feedback about the convenience that it looks at. So I don't just get to be a customer of Worklink on a regular basis. I've been a customer of Workspaces, much as Stephen has for a number of years as well, uh, before I even joined the team. And it's truly been liberating for me. Like, it's really made my life a lot better. Right? Today, when I leave work, I know this is going to sound weird, but I just go home, right? Like, I don't have to carry this five-pound laptop with me everywhere I go. Not that anything's wrong with it. It's great, it's great hardware, uh, but I just don't need to bring it with me, right? And so if I have that unplanned trip to the grocery store after work, or if I'm visiting my kid's school uh, to meet with teachers or, or to see one of their recitals, no big deal. I'm not stressing about what I left in the trunk because there's nothing there. I get to access the exact same state that I was in at work from my home or from anywhere. Other big enterprises are using this as well, right? Johnson & Johnson, we've got Jeff Mendelson, who's going to be coming up and speaking in just a little bit. Uh, they use it every day for seasonal workers. Carnival Cruises uses it for uh, remote access for their employees. We've got companies such as uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb and Celgene, who just a couple of weeks ago completed an acquisition between the two. Um, and employees of those companies are using it to access systems seamlessly. So we started workspaces, you know, to be built for massive, massive scale. It's built on EC2, it's built on EBS, it's built on S3. It's meant to provide a very high fidelity experience for your users, right? And if you're connecting via native apps, you can connect, you know, from anything you want, whether it's a mobile device, tablets, Chromebooks, PCs, Macs, we got you. It's going to be able to connect access your workspace and access that state at any one time. We built a ton of rich automation so that you could integrate the management of your uh, workflows within, pardon me, the management of your workspaces within your existing workflows, right? Lots and lots of APIs that we provided, and we provided more in 2019 to be able to do that. And to the extent that it's possible, look, we're a service that's pay-as-you-go. So you can bring your own licenses, trying to really enable that license freedom as much as possible. Now, over time, 
cloud computing has changed the nature of software, right? Um, you hear things like client-server, traditional architectures like that, migrating towards microservices. We're no different, right? Workspaces is no different. And so with that, I'm going to introduce you to the workspace streaming protocol. Right? This is something that folks have probably seen some demos uh, under NDA for the last little bit. We're very, very proud to announce this public beta, as Stephen did just moments ago. It's a few goals that we had in mind by decoupling the protocol from the workspace. Right? First, we wanted to enable that RIT administrators to just be able to manage their fleets. No longer do you need to be churning that, those workspaces every time we're rolling out features for you. Second, for the users, we really, really, really wanted to provide both a fast and consistent user experience. I think everybody takes fast for granted these days, right? Like, you, you just have to have a fast protocol. Yeah, but what happens when you start to experience some network jitter? What happens when you start to get a little bit of lag? Well, we, we set out to solve that problem. And lastly, you know, no two connections are the same, probably even from here in the, within this room. Uh, and so we're aiming to give a personalized user experience for every single connection. Now, there's just no way I'm going to be able to explain all the nuts and bolts of this protocol in, in the time that we have today. So I invite you to attend Stephen's Chalk Talk uh, Wednesday night. Uh, and he's going to really dive deep into all of how it works. But here's a bird's eye view. With a dedicated CPU, we're allowed to perform some basic AI tasks on all kinds of data that we're looking at, all kinds of telemetry that we have coming in. We're analyzing things like round trip latency. We're analyzing things like packet loss. And for those familiar with the TCP IP stack, we're analyzing things like the TCP IP congestion window to figure out exactly how to give that best experience. And by best experience, what we're figuring out is which codec is best for the job at that time. Now, the neat thing about this is we don't just do this right at startup, right? Like, it's not a negotiation point when the session creates. This is something that we're constantly reevaluating. We're always looking at all this data that's coming in. Again, that dedicated CPU really gives us the opportunity to, to make a lot of these decisions and ask a lot of these questions on a regular basis. And so if the nature of the connection changes, i.e. you start dropping packets some more and we start observing it, no big deal. We can adjust on the fly. I'd love for you guys to try it out. The beta client is available for download in our console. Um, and we have two partner booths, one with Dell, one with HP here at reInvent. Uh, please check it out. Both are doing demos of the protocol. Um, love to get your feedback on it throughout the week and then beyond. The cool thing about coming to reInvent is a chance to kind of work with and talk to customers on a regular basis. And then throughout the year, there's a number of face-to-face -face, uh, meetings. There's a number of EBCs. There's a number of other opportunities for us to touch point. And what you get is the culmination of all of that feedback into these slides that you see here. All these features that we aim to launch, that we did launch in 2019 with your help, with your support, with your feedback. Some themes that we noticed in talking to you throughout the year. Definitely, definitely asking us to continue to provide more APIs for more automation. One of the things that we recently launched as a result was APIs for directory management, something very, very uh, popular as an ask. Security, huge deal, right? There's all kinds of different customers and all kinds of different industries right now. 
So you have no choice but to be relentless on your behalf, to continue to provide more compliance, more ways to access those workspaces securely, and even more regions to access those workspaces securely. Because the next thing customers were asking for were global workforces. So not only did we go after more regions, but we also gave some tools to help make that a little bit easier. Cross-region image copy is one of those things that we said, okay, you know what, this is gonna be something that I think a lot of customers need and have been asking for for some time as well. And the last major theme uh, that we really, really noticed was uh, a lot of customers telling us, listen, I, I'm going through this Windows 7 to Windows 10 migration. All right, so that, that kind of carried two pieces of feedback that almost every customer gave us with that migration. The first is Windows 10 has more updates, right? And I think what that came to is, us as, hey, it's got more opportunities to fail. Um, no problem, you know, that this, that's something that's just sort of part of uh, just general software updates. So we provided the automated desktop restore feature. Taking snapshots of the workspaces on a regular basis so that you can restore to last known good state. Once you complete that restore, you can fix whatever the issues are, try the upgrade again. The second thing that we heard almost unanimously from customers is that Windows 10 requires better hardware. That was a really, really interesting one for us. So we took a look at all the signal that we got in those conversations with customers. We said, you know what? We're gonna take the most popular SKU that customers are using to run Windows 10. We're gonna cut its price by 20%. That's something that I'm really proud of. Not only is that something that we thought really hard at AWS, uh, pardon me, with the Workspaces team about, but something obviously is a rich part of AWS's tradition. Over 75 price cuts since the, the service launched in 2006. Thinking about costs is not unique to workspaces. In AppStream, we think about it from day one. You know, customers came to us when we first started the service and said, look, like, there's gotta be a cloud-centric way for deploying my applications across the enterprise. You hear customers uh, such as General Electric, we have Glorious, uh, who's gonna be speaking to you in just a few moments as well, who are gonna describe their migration paths from on-prem VDI solutions to the cloud via AWS. At Amazon, I get to be a customer of AppStream whenever I need to access a Bastion host uh, to access our production systems. And this sort of secure, isolated environment is a common use case that we're seeing pop up. Vanguard uses it uh, on a regular basis to enable their developers to have a sandbox environment, to try out new software that hasn't yet been released throughout their company. One of the nations, uh, one of the United States uh, national laboratories uh, uses it as well to provide secure internet access to their employees, right? Minimizing the risk of data exfiltration, right? They just want a secure way for employees to kind of reach out to the internet. Samsung Engineering in Korea is using AppStream today to design manufacturing plants worldwide for their products. Not only are we seeing good adoption with uh, enterprises, we've also had a good fortune to work with a number of ISVs that are here today and that we're gonna be chatting with throughout the week and throughout the year. SolidWorks, popular CAD application, uh, they use AppStream to enable online trials of their software without requiring a download of anything. Company called MathWorks, uh, popular software called MATLAB, um, they set up demos uh, and online tutorials, and pardon me, in-person tutorials 
um, in a matter of minutes, where it used to take them days before. And a company out of Canada called Multiview uh, Corporation, they, they have accounting software that they've been able to sassify without a single code rewrite. A lot of themes, very, very consistent between the two services, right? Improved automation, so we provided programmatic image creation. We provided session scripts. We provided usage reports so that you can actually see what your users are using throughout their sessions. Gotta care about security, no two ways about that. One of the interesting things along those lines that customers came to us and asked for was sort of being able to reuse their direct connect connection. Um, so we provided private streaming endpoints, allowing users to now reuse that direct connect, which provides a faster, dedicated connection as opposed to having those users connect via the, via the internet. And of course, uh, finer cost controls, right? Like I said, we thought about this from day one. So we created our schedule scaling APIs that allow you to the per the second spin up and spin down some of these resources. And then if you're familiar with the sort of EC2 uh, auto scaling, that target tracking, we've got that this year as well. The last thing I'm going to talk about is what we call at Amazon a positive surprise. Um, it's on the slide as embedded desktop apps, right? So you can take your, your uh, stream and you can embed it within a web app. And it's been a positive surprise for us because we're now seeing not just the typical IT teams wanting to use it in their workflows, but we're seeing you know, the consumer parts of your companies come to us as well. A leading auto manufacturer, one of the world's biggest, is using it to actually enable their customers to sell cars, right? So you can design some of these cars using AppStream 2.0. Again, I got a chance to be a customer in every single facet, and I can't say thank you enough for all the support that you've given us. Look, I can go on for days talking about all the really, really cool things that we've learned and talking to customers over the last year and a half that I've been a part of this team, but what better way than actually describe what it's like to be a customer, than have a customer uh, themselves describe their journey uh, and their digital transformation. I'd like to welcome Jeff Mendelson from uh, Johnson & Johnson. Please join me in welcoming to the stage. Thanks, Manir. Hello, as you heard, my name is Jeff Mendelson. Uh, I've been with Johnson & Johnson for 19 years. Uh, responsibilities include virtualization services, app delivery services, and, and uh, much of our automation services in the end user uh, space. Uh, while I'm here, I figured I'd share a little bit about J&J. &J. Uh, most of you probably know us from our consumer brands, um, but we have uh, three business sectors. We also do uh, pharmaceuticals and medical devices that most people may not uh, be as familiar with. J&J uh, as a company was founded in 1886. Uh, it's made up, it's very decentralized, made up of 200 uh, individual operating companies. Uh, and a recent TV spot put it best, I think. Uh, you know, we're a take care of you your whole life company, you know, touching a billion lives every day. Um, our pharmaceutical sector has an industry-leading pipeline and commercial excellence. Uh, our consumer sector has science-based brands and data-driven consumer insights. And our medical devices has a strong uh, lineage of firsts uh, and products in that space. So a little bit about our journey to workspaces, a little bit about our virtualization journey. So we got started in 2011. Uh, at the time, there was an influx uh, of consumer-grade technologies in the in enterprise. Um, uh, the, you know, iPad had just really kind of caught on. Our field sales folks were really interested in trying to leverage that as their primary device. 
And so we started in 2011 kind of looking around. We had a, a cloud-first strategy at the time, but when we looked around, uh, there were, really wasn't a viable service yet available in the market uh, from a desktop-as-a-service uh, perspective. So we really started on-prem um, at the time with that use case primarily being to enable our, you know, a little bit more mobility in our field sales folks and, and trying to consolidate the devices that they carry. Um, so when we launched that pilot, um, you know, we got a lot of learnings out of that. Primarily, the learnings we, we got were, uh, one, you know, the technology worked. Uh, the, the users were pretty happy with uh, the, the service. Um, but we, we realized at the time we really didn't have uh, the appetite for that kind of uh, large CapEx investment uh, to build an on-prem infrastructure. Uh, we also learned as a team that we really weren't that interested in, in managing the, the, the complexity uh, of, of a traditional VDI service on-prem as well. So we kind of shifted focus at that time to uh, more of a managed service model. So we, we engaged a partner, um, and in 2012, we started working on that. Um, so we, we uh, ultimately uh, developed that service with that partner, and we launched it in 2013 uh, with a target audience of 10,000 users. Uh, and as a managed service, size for 10,000 users, uh, that was kind of the managed service that we built. Um, unfortunately, at the time, again, the use case was that primary, uh, you know, uh, field sales uh, user trying to consolidate the number of devices that they carry, and the business units that support those folks probably underthought the amount of time they actually spend in their Windows desktop still. I think they were a little bit optimistic at the time that these folks would really only be in their desktops occasionally, and they would probably tolerate it from an iPad. Um, and that was, uh, t turned out to be a little bit optimistic. So at the time, uh, instead of 10,000 users giving up their laptops and switching to a single device, uh, we ended up with far fewer than the 10,000 seats that we had sized it for. And so the you know, economics of the service per seat became you know, kind of a, a, a problem. So at that time, you know, primary learnings we, we took away from that were, were that basically that wasn't really the right use case uh, and that you know, the, uh, we really needed cloud economics to make this kind of service work. So we shifted focus. Um, and at that time, there really still wasn't a, a service available in the market. Uh, again, this is kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, 2014. Uh, so we reached out to Amazon. You know, we did have that cloud-first strategy all along. Uh, and at the time, it was kind of late, uh, I guess probably pre-reInvent time. And when I, when I spoke to our Amazon account rep, she basically said, you know, I, I really can't talk to you about anything right now, but I really encourage you to watch the keynote at reInvent. So, um, we did, and obviously we, uh, we realized at that time that we, we may have a winner. Um, so we shifted focus at that point, and we, we, we assessed workspaces, and at the very beginning, it was kind of missing some key features that we needed. Uh, so with a phenomenal partnership with AWS, uh, we, we spent 2014 kind of getting ourselves ready for a production launch in 2015. Uh, the partnership and commitment was, you know, uh, essential to this because we, again, those missing features, we were committing to delivery dates. So Amazon really got to work in bridging some of those gaps. And in April of 2015, uh, we launched uh, with workspaces in production. So we also shifted focus at that point from the, you know, kind of iPad as a single device and the mobility space to, to, to more of a general BYOD service. To give you an idea of our current landscape, uh, so today we have around 32,000 active workspaces. Um, our primary use case is uh, to uh, drive BYOD for our non-employees, so our contractors, partners, uh, third parties that are 
that were traditionally given J&J PCs are now given workspaces. Um, and we also made it available for employees uh, who wanted to opt in. Uh, I think you heard um, Manir mention, I mean, it's, it's kind of liberating, and a lot of employees uh, uh, were interested in it. Um, we weren't going to provide them both a workspace and uh, a laptop, so they had to make a decision. If you really wanted to opt in, you had to give back your J&J laptop. And so we do have quite a few employees as well who have opted into the service. Um, we've got users all over the world um, connecting from 127 countries. Um, and to give you some context, it's, it's not a static environment we manage. Because of the non-employee base that we support, we do see around 3,000 churn a month, meaning about 3,000 uh, contracts probably end and, and contractors uh, uh, leave, and about 3,000 come on, so 3,000 new. Uh, so we churn that all um, each month. Um, a majority of our users, as you can see, connect from off-site. So they're not at J&J sites. They're connecting from anywhere on the Internet. Some of that's partner sites. Some of that's their home. Um, but we, really an unmanaged Internet connection from our perspective. And our environment is, is currently uh, deployed in four regions, uh, U.S., Singapore, Ireland, and we just launched Sao Paulo not too long ago for some of the southern cone countries in South America. So current use cases, I mentioned BYOD. Um, you know, BYOD remains our primary use case. You know, we've got uh, a, a majority of our, our users are contractors in that environment, as I mentioned. Um, and that's where we launched, and that was our focus. But over time, you know, what we saw as people became much more familiar with the service, uh, a lot of other interests started to grow. Uh, so, so did our use cases. Um, mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, it's become kind of the standard way we've integrated those environments these days. Um, really helps uh, avoid the long planning cycles that were typically involved in that. You know, pretty much day one, they're uh, able to connect, or in a divestment, you know, they're able to disconnect. Um, you know, we've also uh, enabled a lot of our smaller offices. So J&J &J, uh, has uh, thousands of small offices. So instead of the traditional model of standing up uh, local infrastructure and managing WAN link and, and, and dealing with it as the same, essentially the same as if it was a larger site, we've made those sites virtual. You know, so essentially, uh, those users now connect using workspaces over you know, consumer-grade internet at those locations, and they're much happier uh, than they were before. Um, I won't go into each, but you can see we've, we've grown uh, from the BYOD context to include uh, a, a numerous amount of other use cases. Uh, as the service has gone on. Uh, one thing I'd like to highlight, I mean, one of the things that was kind of essential to us launching uh, the service, but also continuing to operate the service at scale, um, has been, you know, the ability to automate. You know, so automation is kind of an underlying uh, component of our entire uh, success uh, with the service. Um, you know, aside from the typical onboarding and offboarding that we would, you know, uh, uh, typically want to automate, we've automated uh, everything from, you know, kind of continually right-sizing our instances, uh, what running mode they're on, you know, kind of keeping the economics as, as, uh, as tuned as we can. We've got a lot of uh, uh, custom controls that our level one, level two, uh, and level three support desks can, can uh, invoke uh, without giving them full-blown administrative access to some of the consoles we wouldn't want them to have. Um, you know, and, and we're getting a ton of metrics from CloudWatch that tend to drive a lot of these automations. To give a couple of examples beyond the, the typical kind of operational automation, you know, the, the provisioning, deprovisioning, those functions, you know, patching, you know, the, the, the typical stuff, um, we, we continually look at ways to improve the user experience and reduce incidents. Um, and so some of these automations that are, that are based on CloudWatch metrics are 
essentially, you know, detecting when a user has uh, a, a disconnect failure. Uh, oftentimes what we found over uh, the course of our, our service being live is that that tends to happen when Windows is hung. Uh, unfortunately, Windows still does hang even in a virtual world. And so when we detect that a user has uh, a multiple failure, you know, multiple disconnect failures, we send them a text message. You know, we basically uh, uh, send them a text message just to alert them, reboot your workspace. You know, that tends to resolve the majority of those uh, incidents. And so what we've seen is a, a significant decrease in those incidents coming in as a result. Um, but we, we generally look at these metrics and we, we try to message the user in real time when we, when we see something that we could help them uh, with. And that, that, that has really driven up user satisfaction uh, you know, with, with the service. And they don't have to call the help desk, they don't have to go through uh, a, a more lengthy process to, to solve a problem. It's, it's, uh, we, we, we give it to them kind of uh, just in time information and they uh, get, get themselves back up and running quickly. Uh, so some of the benefits we've seen, you know, in our environment. Again, the uh, the BYOD context uh, for us was the primary focus, and a lot of that was because of the uh, getting out of the hardware business, right? So instead of giving everyone who has a workspace today would have traditionally gotten a, a J&J laptop, um, and so uh, getting out of that hardware business, particularly for our non-employees, has given us uh, the opportunity to save save a lot of money. Um, so uh, a lot of that savings is, is, is not due to the hardware getting actually getting out of the business of buying the hardware uh, because the cost of the hardware and the cost of workspace is kind of wash. It's more around the support. So in our environment, um, uh, we, we have a transactional model with a, with a third party that supports our end users. And so when we, when we, every time we invoke a transaction, um, we get charged for it. And, and, and one of the transactions we avoid completely in a BYOD context with workspaces is a technician going to the user's desk to touch the PC. As a result of eliminating that, you know, that's the primary uh, um, savings driver. Um, but beyond that, I mean, so we wouldn't have been able to launch a service without the savings. I mean, that was clearly at the very beginning, that was really what got uh, senior, senior leadership alignment and, and really drove uh, the program. But since then, you know, there's been a clear uh, realization that there's a, a number of other benefits that come with that, right? Security, uh, I think, as you heard Stephen mention, you know, it's just tr trust is is an issue, and especially in our non-employee world where we've got, uh, you know, m more than 90% of our users in general are on laptops roaming the world, uh, not having any data or not having any intellectual property on that uh, device is is a big relief, right? So we consider this our most uh, trusted, you know, way to connect remotely to J&J resources. Um, and because of the nature of the service, you know, we kind of took the position going in that we, we, we considered the device compromised. You know? So we really don't trust it, we can't manage it, we, can't, we have no visibility into it. Um, but because the, the fact that there's nothing local, you know, it really drove the uh, high security scenarios into this uh, uh, discussion. Uh, agility, because you know, we've automated everything, you, know, you can get your workspace up within a couple of hours, uh, it gets terminated automatically uh, when you uh, leave, leave, leave the company. Um, as, as a result of being in a highly regulated industry, you know, we, we have to snapshot that and we have to store that for e-discovery. You know, so all of this is automated. Um, but the agility around that and the benefits are, are too many to name. Um, you know, in, the, in the mergers and acquisitions uh, space you know, that I mentioned earlier, it, it, it's, it's been really a, a transformational enablement. Um, but even in terms of onboarding users, I mean, we, we tip, before workspaces, we typically would see uh, week to months of time between uh, uh, a user getting, for day one, and getting their device sometimes. 
Uh, now they're up in two hours, you know, two, two to three hours, they're up, they get notification that they're up. Uh, it really has transformed that space. And that, you know, is an example there. One of the things we had to automate that, that drove an awareness to us that people were ordering uh, or onboarding their users significantly ahead of their start date because they were waiting for these PCs. And when we switched to workspaces, we were seeing our workspaces be provisioned and sit idle for a little while, uh, sometimes weeks to months. Um, so some of, that, some of that learnings has resulted in automations to try to right-size things as well. Um, we've, we've enabled a number of uh, end-user self-service um, uh, capabilities because of that. Uh, and, and so from a, a difference to our physical world perspective, in the physical world, we still have technicians setting up PCs, delivering the PC, collecting the PC. In the virtual world, it's all self-service. You know? So when we compare user satisfaction metrics between the two, which we do constantly, um, what surprised us is that our metrics for user satisfaction are typically a little higher than the physical world, which is a white glove uh, managed environment, whereas ours is all uh, self-service. So that just shows how, how seamless and how streamlined things are. Um, you know, and the benefits, I think, you know, generally, you know, users, especially the employees who opt in, you know, are, are, are really excited about having the device of choice and the ability to use their own technology. Uh, sort of liberates them from having to lug around uh, a single PC to work on. Uh, some of the lessons learned for us, you know, uh, you know, when we first started, you know, our network was, was very traditional MPLS, full tunnel back to a data center. It was really designed for that client-server uh, model. It wasn't designed for cloud. Um, uh, so that kind of gave us a, a bit of a, a challenge up front for uh, folks that were connecting from a J&J site. Uh, you know, we've since transformed, you know, we have transformational initiatives going on in our network world, but, you know, that was a very big learning for us just in terms of bandwidth, in terms of availability, capacity and such. Um, you know, uh, and just, you know, in, in, in most of our users connecting from the internet, you know, we, we still struggle with, you know, users calling up and saying, hey, my performance is bad and we don't have any idea where they're connecting from, from an internet perspective. So that continues to be, um, you know, um, uh, some, some, of, uh, you know some of our issues tend to, to be a result of the network that they're connecting from. Um, so looking to, to improve, you know, troubleshooting there, obviously the, the workspace of streaming protocol and, and some of the, the better telemetry and all of that might really be a blessing for us. Um, we also encountered something we didn't expect would be as challenging was that, you know, because we're so decentralized as a company uh, and we have so many contractors and partner, uh, suppliers that we do business with, uh, the a lot of contracts are, are negotiated locally. So there was language in, in, included in those contracts that stipulated that J&J &J would provide a PC. So forcing those folks to be ROD required, the contracts kind of age out. And we updated all of those contracts over time. And, you know, now we've been live for five years. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to become much less of an issue, but that's something we ran into initially to think, think about if that's something that's going on in your environment. Um, we still face in, in, in Europe, there's, uh, you know, still some uh, uh, concern around treating employees and non-employees uh, different. You know, there's, there's some directives in, in Europe that, uh, that challenge us there, but we've got uh, a pretty good traction there with some, some, some legal reviews that will likely start to see much more adoption, uh, our ability to push much more, more adoption in Europe. And, you know, generally resistance to change, you know, it was, it was a real challenge for us. Uh, folks just didn't understand conceptually the whole idea of it. Uh, now that we're, you know, five, five years in, you know, it's much, much more of a, a much more the new norm. Um, and definitely pick the right use case if you're thinking about it, because that's where we kind of started, uh, you know, one of our early learnings, so. Um, that being said, you know, that's, uh, let's just give, give you a little bit of idea where we are, where we are with workspaces. I'll hand it back to Manir. Thank so. you, Jeff.
Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Touched on a lot of really, really key themes there I think we've been talking about throughout the day, right? Global scale, cutting costs, trust nothing, step Stephen. Uh, and, and really, you know, trying to go very, very far uh, with what we're doing with workspaces. And it's awesome to hear from a longtime customer doing that. I, I see some of the team here there, uh, today as well. Um, so I wanted to say thank you again. Um, and I look forward to continuing to work with you guys uh, throughout the year. All right, next up, uh, we have an AppStream customer. Uh, at this time, I'd like to call up Glorious Gadwang to talk to you guys about uh, General Electric Renewable Energy's modernization journey. Welcome, Gadwang, to the stage, or Glorious to the stage. Thank you, Munir. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Glorious Gadwang, and I'm the principal cloud architect for GE Renewable Energy. Um, in this role, I am primarily responsible for the operations and the delivery of cloud services to our business business functions. Um, in this, uh, today I'm here to share with you um, our cloud journey and how we are leveraging cloud native solutions like AppStream um, to achieve business outcomes. But before we do that, let me give you a background of who we are. So GE Renewable Energy is a business division in GE with uh, six business units, um, namely onshore wind, offshore wind, LM wind power, hydro, grid, and uh, hybrid solutions. We operate across 80 plus countries um, and has 40,000 employees. Um, combining our onshore and offshore wind, we have so far to date installed 42,000 plus wind turbines globally. 90% 90, 90 of the utilities worldwide um, are equipped by our grid solutions too. And recently, we have built the world's most powerful offshore wind turbine, which is the Halyad X. The Halyad X is uh, 260 meters high. And just to give you a perspective, that's like 64 meters shorter than the Eiffel Tower in Paris. The Wind turbine is able to generate enough clean renewable energy to power 16,000 uh, European households. Um, and just a fun fact, uh, this is like the blade is 107 meters long, but then this is all made by hand. Am uh, Amazon is also a, a client of uh, GE Renewable Energy. 90% um, of a, the output of a wind turbine fleet in Texas gets delivered to an Amazon fulfillment center. We are a very young business in GE. Um, we started becoming a tier one in 2015. Um, we also just recently acquired two additional businesses um, and our cloud program actually just started in uh, 2018. So this is why I'm considering ourselves a startup because we have to be still cost conscious, um, and then we still need to be innovative as well to adapt to all the business changes and the industry trends. Um, we have a target of cloud adoption by, uh, of 80% by 2021. On the flip side, um, we are also a, an enterprise. So we have a, a lot of legacy baggage, a lot of desktop applications that 
our business functions use every day for their operations. Um, an engineering team uses a lot of desktop applications like MATLAB to do simulations and uh, to deliver our products to our customers. Last, we also have a lot of regulations like SOX that we need to adhere to, like segregation of duties, um, which meant that when we started our cloud program, our users wasn't able to access the AWS console. So as with many um, enterprises, we started our journey with a, an on-prem hosting solution, um, which is costly, ineffective, and has vicious feedback loops. The average build of a application was taking two to three months. So the process really starts with application teams um, basically giving a requirement to a centralized infrastructure team. And then this infrastructure team doesn't have any capability of self-service. So it ends up with a lot of back and forth within the application team and infrastructure team because they deliver the service to, they deliver the solution to the, the business users. Now, when they give it to the business users, the business users validate. I mean, we don't always get it right. So um, the cycle goes back to application team, application team talking to the infrastructure team, and then the cycle just goes on and on and on. <coughs> so this is the same feedback loop that goes in when we have um, vulnerabilities that we have to remediate because of a security mandate, or we have to do application upgrades. So obviously, it was very inefficient. But in order for us to stop the bleeding, at least from a cost perspective, we took this model to, to the cloud um, just to save cost. And, but you know, the fundamentals did not change when we changed it. Also, the, you know, there were applications that we couldn't really move to the cloud. And you know, earlier, I said we had an 80% cloud target, uh, cloud adoption target. So you know, we have applications that, uh, I, I guess, as you all know, um, you know, start with a single deployment and then gets adopted, becomes a global application, and now it's an IT problem. So one of the applications that we're actually going to highlight in uh, one of our breakout sessions, uh, shameless plug, by the way, um, is a custom application that started in Spain. Uh, it's used by our engineering team, um, and they use it for budget, budgeting. Um, this application grew to nine deployments. 800 global users, and now it's being used in six different time zones. So lift and ship didn't really work for this one. We couldn't put it on EC2s because we have to account for latency and concurrency. Putting it across uh, several regional VPCs too, I mean, became quickly became very complex and hard to maintain because now we have to upgrade nine different times. So, you, you know, again, in GE, we have to be very lean, right? We have a lean mindset that we need to eliminate waste, be more efficient. And this is what drove us to 
have this new, new, new approach. The new approach we still has the infrastructure team. It's still centralized, but then they're more focused on delivering blueprints. These blueprints are nothing but CloudFormation templates. The CloudFormation template encapsulates all the security and um, compliance requirements that we have, like encryption at rest, encryption in transit, and then segregation of duties. Now, these blueprints are delivered through AWS Service Catalog, another uh, cloud-native services, where the user, the application team, gets a federated role. The federated role is integrated with our corporate IDP. So now when they access the console, they're able to access AppStream 2.0 image builder to build and maintain their own images and deploy and then run their stacks. The delivery is also very consistent, right? Because the, <coughs> the application that we deliver to the business users are all, um, are all single sign-on enabled and can be accessed through a browser anywhere. So this, this whole self-service thing enabled us to have, to reduce our feedback loops. The feedback loops are now between application team and the business users. Um, application teams are empowered to do changes anytime they want or anytime the business users requires them to do so. So in, you know, in, in retrospect, our cloud journey was really, um, you know, not easy. It's filled with a lot of twists and turns. Um, we started with centralized VDI environments, which obviously was, you know, very slow to react to ch changes, high upfront cost, um, and was very frustrating to our customers. We tried to go to the cloud. We, we embraced it, but then we did a lot of lip and shifts just to, you know, get some momentum and then stop the bleeding by you know, saving costs. But then the service delivery was still slow. There was no self-service. Um, it was cheap, but then the fundamentals did not change. So in order for us to go to the next level, we had to go to embracing cloud native. And cloud native is where we're seeing the benefits of the cloud fully. Um, we're able to empower our application teams, um, it's pay by the drink, no capex. And the last point is, you know, our customers are happy. And I think that's the most important metric. So with this, um, thank you for your time and happy reinventing. Thank you, Glorious. Great stuff, Glorious. Um, all right, I'm just gonna recap the day. Right, things that we care about. You heard uh, Glorious talk about, you know, hey, we can help you with lift and shift, but cloud native is something that we're helping seeing customers do more and more of, um, and we're here to, to work on it as best we possibly can. Uh, really, really quickly, just recapping everything. Simplifying IT. Oh, well, we are done. Wanted to say thank you for everybody. Quick shout out to all of these sessions that we've got coming up later. Thanks all. Take care. <laughs>